Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. This is the program where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. I'm Dave Bookbinder, Senior Director of Valuation Services at CFGI. Today, we are going to be talking about employee engagement, corporate culture, how that moves the needle, what's the ROI of this squishy topic. And I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, Adam Berman, Senior Vice President of Operations at Excellus Health Solutions. Adam? Welcome to Behind the Numbers. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, thanks for coming on board. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about Excellus, please? Uh, my name is Adam Berman again. I'm the Senior Vice President of Excellus Health Solutions. We are a boutique management consulting firm. We're focused in uh, life sciences, the supply chain, as well as retail pharmacy and healthcare. Um, my role with the organization is I lead up the human resources function, IT, finance and accounting on a day-to-day -day operational basis. Yeah, so I want to drill into your background just a little bit to start, to set the stage here, because you're what I would call a non-traditional finance guy. You're responsible for finance and accounting, but expound on how you evolved into that role and from where you came, so to speak. It's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. The first uh, portion of my career was in higher education. Um, I uh, initially had some responsibility for budgeting and uh, managing that budget, so that was my first exposure. Over the course of my career, uh, branched into a sales role, and then I went to work for a public accounting firm as a non-CPA, non-finance, non-accounting person, uh, providing professional services, consulting help uh, to, to their audit and tax clients, and learned a great deal about how numbers uh, move organizations and what you need to do to monitor and control those and use those to your benefit, make decisions uh, based on what the numbers are telling you. Um, moved on to uh, a, a small business and helped use uh, the people and engagement to, to further drive uh, return on investment on some of the dollars that the, that the owners chose to invest in. Yeah, it's interesting because you can speak multi-languages here, and I say multi-languages in air quotes relative to business because a lot of times the, the finance and we'll call it the HR functions are, are disparate responsibilities. And yeah, sometimes they report up into the CFO, but usually those folks are, are trained in one discipline or another, and you've got a very unique blended background. So how does that give you a perspective in your day-to-day -day in implementing the company strategies and driving the ROI that you're talking about? I think understanding um, where the different portions of the organization fit in. And uh, if, you're, if you're coming from one perspective, the finance perspective or the HR perspective or the IT perspective, it's always pushing what you know in that area. Having exposure to all those things and having worked in a variety of different functions, knowing what they need and what they expect is truly helpful in terms of driving strategy. Yeah. So statistics that we see every day from Gallup are that basically one-third of the uh, American workforce is engaged day-to-day. -day. And those numbers haven't moved a whole lot over, I think, the last decade. Uh, pretty scary. W what are you doing personally and as an organization to, to drive engagement at Excellus? I think um, or, or that starts at the top. You have to have a CEO who truly cares about his, his people, um, his organization, what they're doing, the value that they're driving. Um, if they start with that as their, uh, as their core competency 
everything else is possible. And I think in our organizations, and quite honestly, the last two or three organizations I worked in, the CEOs of those organizations, the leaders, the business leaders of those organizations truly cared about their people. They showed it in their behavior. They showed it in compensation. They showed it in recognition. They showed it in genuine compassion and human empathy uh, for caring for people. Now, some of them were very warm, fuzzy leaders, and others of them you would think, there's not an ounce of compassion in that individual at all on first blush, but their behaviors demonstrated something very differently. And people felt good, they felt safe, and they felt comfortable in the environment that they were working in. When people feel safe, that allows a lot of extraordinary things to happen. The potential there that can be unleashed in a safe environment is pretty exceptional. Uh, yeah, no question. And I'm going to ask you to unpack that just a little bit, because when you talk about creating a safe environment, you've got implicitly in that is trust. And if it's a safe environment, ideas can be uh, shared without any fear of any kind of judgment, which I would imagine fosters creativity. But why don't you unpack that just a little bit and talk about some of the things that you've seen in those safe environments? Um, accessibility. Uh, an open door policy is not accessibility. Accessibility is being transparent with people, sharing bad news in a way that's digestible. Uh, sharing good news in a way that is inspiring and sharing uh, credit with people. Instead of taking responsibility for all the good things and blaming for all the bad things, yeah. the best leaders obviously do both. That accessibility, um, not just on a business level, but on an emotional and personal level, creates the opportunity for people to feel safe. Vulnerability is not a bad thing to show. It's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And I think uh, some of the best leaders that I've had the good fortune of working for and trying to emulate their behavior have shown a great deal of uh, vulnerability and accessibility um, and honesty and transparency. They've also been some of the strongest people I've ever met. So very secure in their own standing as well. Yeah, you've described some characteristics that are the, uh, I think, the cornerstones of, of good leadership. But what does vulnerability look like in a leader? Uh, I, 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 a willingness to look at one's own behavior, a willingness to try and be empathetic and understand where people are coming from in a particular moment, not just from a business perspective, Dave, but from a, from a personal perspective. We all are... Uh, we all are animals with the fight-flight reward going on, the dopamine chemicals running through our brains, and understanding where people may be at in a particular moment and what's driving their behavior in the workplace. If you show that understanding and express some of that about yourself, I think that vulnerability becomes a sign of strength and uh, opens opportunities for real binding trust to exist there. Yeah, good point. For the folks watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you or your organization, what's the best way for them to contact you, Adam? Uh, I'm available on, on LinkedIn, and, uh, but probably through the organization, our web address is www.excellushealth.com. Yeah, we've got about five minutes to go in this first segment. And before we go too much further in, into this topic, uh, program's called Behind the Numbers. I want to jump into the numbers just a little bit because a lot of times when we talk about these call them softer issues, um, we need to validate them that there really is an ROI. And uh, I wanted to explore what your experience has been in terms of the return on these initiatives, in terms of the, the trust, the culture that you've fostered. What have you guys seen in terms of you know, the KPIs? How does it manifest? About half of, our, half of our population, somewhere between a third and a half of our population, are 
um, under the age of 35. The transitory nature of that population across the workforce in the United States is they move around a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been able to retain and develop these folks, um, give them the appropriate rewards, give them challenges, sometimes beyond their capabilities in the moment, give them a support safety net, but push them further than they necessarily think that they can. And our retention is somewhere between 5 and 10% better than the national average in uh, professional services where there's typically high turnover as well as um, in uh, management consulting. We're doing better than not only some of our smaller competitors, but some of the large global billion dollar firms as well. Yeah, and beyond uh, turnover as well, right? There's other financial metrics, maybe profitability, sales growth. Have you been able to do any kind of internal correlation, so to speak, regarding what you're doing as an organization and how they're impacting those metrics? Year, year over year, um, our, we've been adding revenue. Our revenue has been growing. EBITDA has been growing. EBITDA as a percentage of revenue has been growing. I think that is uh, certainly part of the employment proposition that we offer our people, right? They, they like working there, they wake up in the morning. Now make no mistake, everyone has a bad day, including me sometimes. But they wake up in the morning, they like what they're doing, they know their work matters, they know that their work matters not only to the company, but to society as a whole. You know, what we do um, enhances patient safety across the globe. So the medicines that you take, um, are safer because of some of the things that we do. We're locking down the supply chain and keeping counterfeits out, uh, enhancing brand security for, for clients. So folks go to work and they know not only does it matter to our organization, but it matters to the world. It matters to their family, their moms, their dads. They feel good about what they're doing. That's a pretty noble proposition. So when you wake up in the morning, it doesn't hurt coming in coming in. Yeah, when you start with why and your why is pretty solid, everything yeah. else kind of just follows. Was there an aha moment in your career when you realized that this kind of stuff matters? Yes. Um, I had a boss uh, way back in my education days who pulled me aside and read me the riot act. He was very disappointed with my performance. Um, and after I left that meeting, I felt so inspired and so positive. I didn't feel beat up. I didn't feel um, less valuable. In fact, I felt more mm. valuable because what he told me. And I realized in that moment that, my goodness, um, how we feel really drives our performance at work. And that individual is still a, a mentor, a friend. I call him about any big di business decision I need to make, and he's kind enough to uh, have kept me in his life, you know, 30 years after working together. Well, that's really an enlightened response in that moment. Uh, I imagine a lot of folks wouldn't react the same way. It is, uh, well, I've been yelled at in the past by other bosses, and it made me want to cry in the corner. But um, understanding that transparency and what I mean and what I can contribute um, in a way that inspired me was a very special moment for me. And uh, I, I try and emulate that as much as I can. Yeah, really good stuff. You covered a lot of key components here. Um, I want to think we have to take a very quick commercial break here. Okay. So you sit tight. Um, we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers right after this very quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. Looking for a peaceful place to ride with no pressure? Here at Suffolk Stables, we offer many lesson horses of all shapes and sizes. Whether you are a beginner 
or you are experienced or just want to get back in the saddle. From ages three and up, we have horses of various levels for you to enjoy and train with. Come take a ride on our beginner safe horses and learn the basics, or move your training along and learn to jump or polish your jumping skills on our seasoned jumping horses in our sand and stone dust outdoor jumper ring. After your lesson, take a walk to cool down on our racetrack, which is five eighths of a mile long. If you're looking to take dressage, we have lessons in our outdoor full-size ring and offer experienced dressage coaches. Suffolk Stables has a large indoor arena for year-round riding, which also has wonderful dust-free footing. Are you looking to show? Here at Suffolk Stables, we offer a full show series for spring and fall. We offer three rings active at the same time with three separate judges. Dressage on the grass, hunters and jumpers, plus money classes in our beautiful outdoor jumping ring, plus English and Western classes, money classes, ranch riding, and classes for miniature horses in our indoor arena. We hold a year-end awards banquet every year to show our appreciation for all the hard work of the riders, trainers, and parents throughout the year. Suffolk Stables offers help through our non-profit for people looking for scholarships. We aid with the cost of lessons and showing throughout the year and to groups that are just looking to experience horses. Visit us at www.suffolksafe.org or contact the number on your screen for more information. Suffolk Stables also offers our beautiful farm for venues such as weddings and other celebrations or events. Come join us for a lesson or an experience. Gift certificates are available and all forms of payment are accepted to include Venmo and PayPal. We look forward to a visit from you soon. Visit our website at www.suffolkstables.com and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and I'm talking today with Adam Berman, Senior Vice President of Operations at Excellus Health Solutions. We're talking about all things related to corporate culture engagement, driving the ROI in an organization. And Adam, we covered a lot of good ground in the first segment, but I want to talk to you a little bit about in the beginning of the second segment. You're a smaller organization. You're, you're going toe-to-toe with some of the real big boys in, in the world and the industry in which you compete. How do you attract and retain talent in, in that battle for good talent? I think in, in today's economy, there's, there's absolutely a war for talent going on. Uh, for a smaller organization to, to get some attention in this space, I think it, it starts with your, your own employees. If you're not doing right by them, don't expect to attract even better talent as you move forward. They're the best source of, uh, of talent acquisition that you could possibly have. If they believe in what you're doing and they believe in the organization and they feel part of the culture, um, and I, I like using the term culture additive as opposed to culture fit, to interview somebody to see if they're a fit for your culture, I think is a mistake. You want to bring somebody in who can add to your culture, right? Be politely disruptive, can move you in new directions. Yeah. Um, but if everybody thinks the same way and behaves the same way, innovation kind of, kind of will slow down or cease to exist in some way. So bringing in people who are a little bit different than you, who think differently than you, who behave differently than you, um, but can be uh, politely disruptive. They're uh, chameleons. They can adapt to what needs to, what needs to happen. And I think some of that behavior you can readily see in interviews. Um, 
attracting people, you have to tell them why their work is going to matter here. Uh, people wake up in the morning, they spend so much time at work, they fall asleep often at night thinking about work. Yeah. Um, they want to know that what they're doing, the task that they're engaged in, the project that they're on, matters. It's got to be substantive. Um, if you can communicate that in your value proposition as an employer to a prospective employee, that gets their attention. Then if you can demonstrate that with some examples of what you do, people that work there, that really, that really is a compelling value proposition. And we've been able to get people who have been offered more money by some competitors because they believe in what we're doing, they know their work will matter, and they know there's some, some good going on in the world that they can contribute to. That's a powerful, it's a powerful tool. A lot of really good stuff there. Um, a friend of mine likes to describe um, employees as being the advocates the way you did as they're either missionaries or they're mercenaries. And we all know what the mercenaries mean, but if you get the people to buy in, they're the ones evangelizing the organization and they can help you with recruitment, retention, culture, innovation, everything that goes along with that. You mentioned culturally additive, uh, hiring the disruptors. Have you had any experiences where the disruptors were maybe too disruptive? Sure. Always. Yeah. Always. When you, how, no matter, how, do you, how do you know what the right <clears throat> sense of disruption looks like? I, I like seeing somebody who, who will um, present alternative ideas in an interview. I like somebody who's done something uh, in a different way than I would have. So, you know, standard behavioral interview sort of questions. Tell me a story about. And really digging in deep, um, when they did something differently than I would have approached it, that's interesting to me. You know, teach me something new. Uh, um, I like uh, I like people who are smarter than I am and who look at uh, who look at problems in a very different way than I do. Yeah, some people would be threatened by that. Oh, I'm uh, you know married twenty five plus years, have three daughters. I realize how little I know, and I think that translates well to the to the workplace. Um, I've always done my best to hire people who are smarter than I am who think differently than I do, and who can challenge me on a regular basis. And it's, it's interesting to try and encourage someone who may be younger on your staff, much more junior in experience, to challenge me, to speak up, to not be quiet in a meeting, to help them um, learn a style of how they can formulate uh, their thoughts so they can communicate them and challenge the status quo. I think some of that comes out in, uh, in Good interviews, good storytelling when you're when you're trying to uh, to attract people. But I've always been um, when I'm the smartest person in a room, it's a pretty dull room, <laughs> and I don't like being there. So always hire better than yourself. That's great advice. Um, so speaking of advice, what other advice would you offer for leaders who are trying to build and scale culture in an organization? Uh, transparency. Tell them what you're thinking, positive and negative. Uh, be compassionate, be empathetic. Uh, I, we, we were joking just the other day, the, the CEO and I, that we are excellushealth.com, not excellushealth.org. That doesn't mean we don't do good things, we don't treat people well, but we are a business. And I think when we're doing well, they need to recognize folks and recognize the organization, reward people appropriately, both emotionally and, uh, and with uh, monetary rewards. Um, I think that when we're not doing well or we're straying from our strategy, having an open and frank discussion about that in a way that isn't scary but inspiring. 
And I think the best leaders um, are truly transparent, not just in the good times, but in the difficult times as well. That's the best loyalty builder I can think of, that when mm -hmm. times are tough, if you can inspire people um, with transparency and be motivational and a good coach, I think that, uh, that goes a long way to, to retain people and to keep them feeling good about what they're doing, feeling good about the business, and feeling good about the future. And that's how you get the discretionary effort. Absolutely. So the above Absolutely. and beyond. Uh, Adam, how can people contact you if they want to learn more about you or your organization? Uh, www.excellushealth.com. I'm also available on LinkedIn. You said something interesting at, at the break. We were talking about this concept of talent development, and you uh, connect the dots from talent development to client development. Talk a little bit about that for the audience, if you would, please. We are a, a professional services firm. We are a, a management consulting organization that uh, puts our people, uh, embeds them on client sites, and helps the client to achieve things that they are not capable of achieving by themselves. So our people have to um, build trust very quickly. They come in. Um, they don't have relationships. They weren't hired by this organization. They are um, embedded there without any prior relationship building, without any dating before they get married. And there they are on an arranged marriage. They land on the ground. And they have to start helping an organization transform the way it approaches its supply chain. Um, if we have engaged people who are happy, who are compassionate themselves because they see it within their own home, when they go out into the world, the client world, they build that trust very quickly with um, extraordinary competence. You have to lead with competence. And if they do so in a way that mirrors the behavior that we engage in back in our office with kindness, with humility, with humbleness, with, um, with strength of character, and a little bit of humor, never hurt. Uh, you build trust very well. And when that happens, our ability to expand our business, to expand our presence within that, uh, within that client site is off the charts. You know, we don't lose clients. We, they stick with us for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. They find new ways. That's how actually we've expanded our, our service offerings is because they said, we have trouble in these other areas. Do you think you can help us because your skill set seems to translate well to that space? And, you know, it's a good aha moment when your clients lead you to new business opportunities. Oh, yeah. So I was on a panel not too, too long ago with some other uh, experts who know way more about the topic than I do. And we're talking about employee engagement, uh, learning and development, driving business value, which is kind of my lens on this whole perspective as well. But learning and development is something that uh, I, I've come to understand is really kind of a, a big deal in, in fostering corporate culture. And not just kind of the training session on how to do um, you know, the, the mundane tasks, so to speak, or the compliance-oriented stuff, but it, it sounds like the actual personal growth growth aspect of training and development really helps to drive culture. What have you experienced in that regard? I, I, absolutely, and I would agree with that. Uh, I, I, I'm in violent agreement with that statement okay. that uh, you're, you're saying two things. Uh, one is that you as an individual matter. We want you to grow. We want you to get better tomorrow than you are today. It demonstrates genuine care and concern for the individual. We're, we're inquisitive animals to begin with. We have the opposable thumbs. We like exploring mm -hmm. and doing things. And the, the same holds true with the mind. Um, we're committing to your career. We're willing to invest in that to make you a better uh, employee with us, a better consultant. Um, but it also 
if you allow people to have some self-determination as to where they want to learn and develop, um, you light a fire of passion for them. If they are particularly strong about something, set up some bumpers, um, whether they're budgetary bumpers, time frames. Yeah. Um, you know, we still have a business to run, but if they see something that they think they can be passionate about and can drive value for clients, let's let's have that conversation. Let's do that. And when people go through that process and they feel like they haven't been told, here's the education you need so you can complete this task securely, yeah. but they are bringing it to the table because they believe it'll make them a better employee hopefully with us for a long time, but even if not with us, it makes them more marketable in the future. Um, they bring a great deal of passion to the workplace. and Passion is a good thing. Let's just make sure that everybody who's watching and listening understands the context of this conversation. You are SVP of operations, and you're responsible for not just the HR function, but finance and accounting as well, as, I, as IT as well. Correct. So this is a finance guy, folks, that we're talking to who's enlightened and, and talking about these kinds of issues and what the impact is on the ROI of an organization. Uh, maybe in about 90 seconds that we have left here, Adam, how important is getting the right people in the right seats, teaming? Uh, I think it's important, but mobility is as important. So don't be afraid to shuffle seats every now and then. Allow people to have stretch opportunities to try things that they didn't believe they were capable of. Um, the, the Jim Collins, good to great, get the people, get the right people on the bus. You'll figure out where to put them in time. I think allowing some self-determination there, they will put themselves in the right seats if you allow them enough room to, to do so. So you're letting people play to their strengths, playing to their aspirations. It's, it's not just about you have a toolbox of skills and experience. Go do your job. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's how we'll win the war for talent that way. So how do you, how do you advise a, a leader who may be watching um, if they've got people who are really good at what they do, but the, the employee may have aspirations for bigger, broader horizons, maybe within, within the organization, mm -hmm. but taking on a larger role. And it's going to require them maybe giving up a part of that super productivity that they've already demonstrated in their existing spot. You as a, as a supervisor have to understand that and have to know what you need to do to, uh, to achieve the business, um, the, the business objectives. I think you need to uh, sometimes allow those things to happen. Uh, people will not exit their seat. They will make sure that it's well covered to prove that uh, they've earned the opportunity to take on these new responsibilities and these new challenges. I think as a supervisor, you need to be painfully transparent about um, the value that you perceive that they deliver. And if they leave, what may happen to the organization and where you need that help. But I think that kind of uh, um, that give and take, that uh, flexibility, will create a lot more value than the incremental value you may lose by the performance of the task being not as efficient when it's taken on by somebody new to the organization. Yeah, that enlightened thinking here from a finance guy, and I, I say that tongue in cheek, right? Right. So uh, anything else that we didn't cover that you wanna make sure that the audience understands in terms of how they can build and scale culture? Because we only have just a little bit of time remaining, Adam. I think the, the, the biggest advice that I would give is, is be transparent, be open. You're in a leadership position because you have great thoughts, but those are not the only thoughts. Encourage, encourage people to, to challenge you and to have enough security, professional security, to, to be challenged and to try something different. Self-awareness. Absolutely. 
Where does a CEO go to learn self-awareness if it's not innately in part of their hardwiring? Uh, I think they need to have, I, I, I think it's always a good idea to have a personal board, somebody that's, uh, and that's an informal term, not a, yeah. not a real board, but have a group of sounding, uh, a group of people that can be your sounding board that can tell you to your face what you're not good at, where your vulnerabilities are, and what you need to work on, and do so in a way and in a manner that uh, is not going to impact your career. CEOs have no one to talk to. They can't tell people they're afraid of what's going to happen or what happens next, or they're worried about making payroll next quarter, yeah. or they're worried about the business not growing the right way. So having that external source, it could be family members, um, outside business advisors, I think is critical. Former employees, you know, you've changed a lot of people's careers. Yeah. Those people care about you. They'll They'll help you if they can. Yeah, and as the person at the top of the organization chart, oftentimes um, they're of the mindset that they have to be the one to have all the answers and, and convey all the, the meaningful strategy, but they, they do have resources and they are allowed to, as you say, be vulnerable and open to, to learning and growing on these things. Absolutely. Very good stuff. Adam, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Today we've been talking about building and scaling an organizational culture, the impact of the ROI on the key performance indicators that result from that, with Adam Berman, Senior Vice President of Operations at Excellus Healthcare. Thank you for joining us in Behind the Numbers. Um, please do hit the subscribe button on whatever medium that you're watching or listening on right now. And if you'd like to be a guest on the program, don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.